Zach Marks Madness. Marks, we're reading. <laughs> okay, so we just got through chapter three, which means we've been through three chapters of Lenin going, this quote by Marx, this quote by Engels, this quote by Marx, this quote by Engels, this quote, lots and lots of quotes by Marx and Engels, and so that he could deliver an idea that let's not be these opportunists, these guys are dumbasses. So what we need now is something new. So we're going to turn to a bunch of quotes by Engels. <laughs> I was about to say, I was kind of getting, I was like, uh, you do you do know we're not done with the Engels quotes, right? Yeah, this, this is all Engels quotes. The entire chapter is continuation, supplementary explanations by Engels. <laughs> yes. So by the way, uh, Lennon has decided that what we need now is Engels quotes because we don't have enough Engels quotes. State Revolution, the greatest quote book of all time. That's right. Uh, so he's going to start with the housing question. And That's we're a good gonna, question. Yeah, we're going to dig right into the Engels quote. We're going to say, how is the housing question to be settled then? In present day society, it is settled just as any other social question by the gradual economic leveling of demand and supply, a settlement which reproduces the question itself again and again and therefore is no settlement. How a social revolution would settle this question not only depends on the circumstances in each particular case, but also connected with much more far-reaching questions, one of the most fundamental of which is the abolition of the antithesis between town and country. As it is not our task to create utopian systems for the organization of future society, it would be more than idle I'm sorry. Yeah, it would be more than idle to go into the question here. But one thing is certain. There is already a sufficient quantity of houses in the big cities to remedy immediately all real housing shortages, provided that they are used judiciously. This can naturally only occur through the expropriation of the present owners and by quartering in their houses homeless workers or workers overcrowded in their present homes. As soon as a proletariat has won political power, such a measure prompted by concern for the common good will be just as easy to carry out as are other expropriations and belittlings of by the present-day state. Now... I, I, I mean, yeah, I want to be clear. This is not a, a problem that went away, and it's a problem that people sometimes notice about modern-day United States that's not new. There are more houses available than people in need of homes. Yeah, easily. We and just we just snatch. Yeah, I mean, we just snatch the second and third homes from rich people. Yeah. And it, everyone's got uh, somewhere to live. We, we, we cut off the head of Airbnb and feed it to the goddamn devil that it is. That That is – that I – and we'll, we'll, staying on Lenin for a second, when he says, you know, expropriations buildings take place by even order, by order even of the present state. Um, yeah, that 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 part is angles. You saying staying on Lenin? This part is angles. No, 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 no. Oh. This is the below that. Oh, okay, the, gotcha, the, gotcha, the, gotcha. The next part: the change of the form of state power is unexamined here, only in the content of activity of its activity. Expropriations of buildings take place by order even of the present state. Gotcha. Um, and that the best example of that, and I don't even know if they called it that at the time, but that's eminent domain. Yeah. yeah, the state all the time takes people, you know, oh, how are you going to take these people? So we take land all the time. Yeah. We take things from people all the time because we need to build a shopping center there. Because we need to, be- what if we actually took it and gave the people houses? Holy we, shit, that'd be a unique. And it- we break treaties with sovereign nations within the United States borders to push oil pipelines through yeah. and ruin their fucking water like a bunch of bastards. It's, it's, you, to say that there's not a precedent for how we would do this is silly. Yeah. But it's also, it, it, you just look at where your fun late stage capitalism takes you like air Airbnb. Like I had someone the other day, I had someone today 
because we're looking at booking a, a hotel and they're like, well, hotels are, you know, you know, shitty and they're not, you know, I was like, well, I'm, I'm out there looking to make sure I'm not at a hotel that has their workers striking or something like that. And I'm like, all right, I found one. The workers aren't striking. We're going to do this. And like, well, but that's, but what if we just stared at Airbnb? That's like actually helping the people. That's actually helping a person and not a company. Like we're, I'm like, oh my God, their propaganda is <laughs> guys, 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 guys. <laughs> Airbnb is not you staying at a guy's house. Mm-mm. It's not. I don't know how to explain this to you. Airbnb is table taking what used to be long term rental property that someone lived in for their life and stuff off of the market because they realized they could rent it to bougie ass tourists at a way higher rate and make more money. It is in- exponentially exacerbating the housing crisis that absolutely doesn't need to exist because we have enough homes and it's making a bunch of fucking landlords who do nothing but be landlords and are the fucking biggest leech on society making them a fuck ton of money and letting some Silicon Valley fucks take a cut of it as well. It is fucking up the housing crisis even more, making rich people richer and Silicon Valley. It is like the high, it is like the, the, the three headed devil of fucking late stage capitalism. Fuck Airbnb. Fuck it so hard. Yeah, which is not not a new theme for uh, Mark's Madness that we hate Silicon Valley. Fuck, no, fuck, fuck Uber, Silicon fuck Valley. Lyft, fuck Airbnb, <laughs> fuck eh, fuck all. Oh my god, my my father is in San Francisco right now. If he wasn't, I would say nuke it to the ground. Wait till he leaves, then then glass it. Wait, Just, eva- evacuate the homeless. Well, people. Well, get the homeless people out, obviously. Nuke I, we'll it to have the a ground. caravan. Nuke it to the ground. We'll have it. We'll have that caravan from Independence Day where the the the. the one uh, uh, Will Smith's girlfriend drives a truck through an El Pollo Loco, picks up the president's wife. Uh, this freedom—that's my president. I, I've lost the. I've lost the thread, people. I I want you to be very clear. I'm the person that's supposed to forget things and not know the people and the terms that I'm referencing really, really badly because my memory's bad. You just forgot who Will Smith was. I forgot. <laughs> okay. I've had a lot of theory lately. I could have told you. I could have told you who Bukharin is right now, uh, but I apparently can't tell you who Will Smith is. I'm sorry. <laughs> so we're going to continue on. Lenny says, from the formal point of view, the proletarian state will also order the occupation of dwellings and appropriation of houses. But it is clear that the old executive apparatus, the bureaucracy, which is connected with the bourgeoisie, would simply be unfit to carry out the orders of the proletarian state. Duh, they're not going to want to yeah. do it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, We're going to get back into angles, and he's going to say it must be pointed out that the actual seizure of all the instruments of labor, the taking possession of industry as a whole by the working people, is the exact opposite of the Predonist redemption. In the latter case, the individual worker becomes the owner of the dwelling, the peasant farm, the instruments of labor. In the former case, the working people remain the collective owners of houses, factories, and instruments of labor, and will hardly permit their use, at least during transitional period, by individuals or associations without compensation for the cost. In the same way, the abolition of property in land is not the abolition of ground rent, but its transfer, if in a modified form, to society. The actual seizure of all instruments of labor by the working people, therefore, does not at all preclude the retention of rent relations. This is, again, it, it is so, it's so frustrating to hear and to hear shit that 
came out of my mouth when I was a bad, bad, bad libertarian. I apologize. I have atoned. I have done <laughs> Don't, myself. Do we want to look back at our old words, Nathan? I've done myself cringe. Oh, I've purged. I've pur. I have atoned, people. I have atoned. I'm. I. I know it. I. Have, yeah, I was a shitty. I was person. gonna say, don't look. Don't look at 2013. David says anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. I cleaned my act up by around 2012. Yeah. Um, but no, it's a. Uh, it, it, <laughs> They said there wasn't a roadmap. You know, oh, it's just unorganized. Oh, it's just you tell. Oh, it's just a fantasy where you give everybody, everyone else's stuff, and this is no one pays for anything. God, no. They absolutely, absolutely recognize a transition state and what that looks like, and that you yeah. can't. Yeah, is is are we going to are, are we going to seize everything? Yeah. Yes, we are. Is that going to mean that nobody pays rent for it or nobody? No. no. It just means instead of that rent going to some dick-ass landlord who does nothing and for being society. Outrageous, nothing. Society is going to take the rent and they're going to actually maintain the housing for everyone properly with it because the people are going to demand it. Because there's no incentive to hoard that money for yourself. Yeah. Again, it, it, look at the commune. Look at this concept of, of leveling off wages to that of a worker's wages where this is the maintenance, the accounting it's turning it into all we need. Okay, we just need to get the money from here over to here. We need project managers. We don't yeah. need fucking anything else. We just need, okay, we took in this much money. This needs fixed. Let's go fix that and let's go. And don't make that something that's a giant money-making career that lets you jump over to whatever Paris commune version of Boeing there is. And and we have, <laughs> we've got it solved. The cannon manufacturers. I just imagine it's just I just imagine it's Lay Boeing and then we call it a day. But I mean it's 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 something. Lay Boeing. They only make cannons. They do they and do bayonets. Make, they do make ba- oh they, they make guillotines. Come on, David. You know they make guillotines. No, they burn down the guillotines. No, but the We've Boeing this. But this is Boeing. Oh okay, this is Lay Boeing. Boeing. Lay Boeing, Boeing makes bombs. Lay Boeing makes guillotines. Like flying guillotines. Yes. <laughs> well, that needs to be a squadron name when we when the revolution comes, guys. <laughs> so we're going to get back on Lenin. It says, Engels expresses himself most cautiously, saying that the proletarian state would hardly permit the use of houses without payment, at least during the transitional period. The letting of houses owned by the whole people to individual families presupposes the collection of rent, a certain amount of control, and the employment of some standard in allotting the housing. All this calls for a certain form of state, but it does not call for a special military bureaucratic apparatus with officials occupying especially privileged positions. The transition to a state situation in which it would be possible to supply the dwellings rent-free depends on the complete withering away of the state. Again, we're not going to immediately flip the switch and nobody pays rent, nobody pays their mortgage, nothing like that happens. For a while... Well, there won't be mortgages because it'll there, be a rent. There won't be... And that that is an interesting question. Will there not... Would there not be mortgage? So if someone's paying rent and we expect that person to keep paying rent but they're going to pay it to the state, if you had a house, would... So obviously the bank doesn't isn't the recipient of your mortgage. Yeah. Would you not keep paying the same if we're if we're trying to keep it again as the transitory state i feel like that would be a pretty big kick in the dick to anyone renting if they're still expected to pay rent but pay it to the state but people with mortgages just don't pay anymore like no, what they it would start paying rent huh they would start paying rent in place to the state the state would seize that property okay 
Okay, so that's what we're so that's how this would work. Okay. Yeah, we would. This is not a a, a wealth privilege apparatus. I'm, I'm trying. I don't know how. Okay, I'm working on it. Okay, I'm trying to get here. <laughs> work with me. No, I mean housing will be allotted on a factor things decided by people. You know, they're going to try to move the least number of people possible, but obviously the large movements will be necessary. They're going to try to put you by your work. They're going to try to make sure that that there's appropriate housing for your family. We're going to make sure kind of jointly, like all the shit landlords are supposed to take care of, but never take care of making sure HVAC works, your plumbing works, all that stuff. You know, that will be done. I mean, you can't just like go home and go, I'm bored. I want to make the state give me a new garage and plow your garage over. But if your garage is breaking down, the people will come over and take care of it before it hurts someone. Which explain, And it also explains the, the aesthetic and some of the theory behind, you know, when you see Soviet architecture and stuff like that, it was far yeah. more utilitarian. Yeah. It was far less, you know. Yeah, brutalism was very utilitarian. Individual houses spread out over a large, giant, sprawling suburb is a kind of a useless use. Enforcing uh, monoculture shit. and sucking up, you know, Yeah, a lot sort of, of a land. shitty use of yeah. your space. Whereas if you can build and again, you, everyone is accounted for. It's not like you're gonna. It's not like I have eight kids. I'm expected to live in the same apartment that someone with no kids is expected to live in. Sure. And it's gonna be a lot easier and smarter to go. You know, hey, we want solar panel on every building. Well, if the people own that, you know, the people are gonna make sure jointly that that's maintained. Um, even cars and stuff. You know, I mean, we'd want to get better public transportation to reduce the cars on the road. But as far as cars like emissions, you won't have, you know, you'll have a thing where you have to probably take your car in for emissions and make sure it's, you know, fixed up. But like the parts, the fixing, you're not going to be like, oh, I didn't pass my emissions. I'm staring down three grand out of pocket. You know, you're going to have like maybe some small expense for a reasonable price for the parts. And then, you know, the state will make sure someone who knows what they're doing will get it installed in there. Uh, HVAC systems, you know, they would make sure they're energy efficient and maybe start doing some things like what kind of they do in Germany with using water for the heating to be more efficient. You know, I mean, these things would kind of be managed and they slowly happen over time. So just like you're saying, you know, one house and a big plot of land doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But we're not going to tear down all the houses and rebuild them as multi-house dwellings just to do it. We're going to do that as needed. If something is already there, it's not more wasteful to destroy it and rebuild it. I've played, I've played Civilization. You don't get yeah. your full value back after you tear down your, no. your district. You gotta you gotta be careful there. So we're gonna start with putting people in existing housing, and we're gonna make sure the housing, you know, something being up to code is gonna be something that we take care of from the state level, and we'll prioritize that, you know, based on how many people are there and and how bad it is, things like that. Which means your giant vacancy. So for instance, I know uh, a former coworker of both of ours. I think yeah. I think is one of the few people that we both worked with at the same time. Um, is a big member of the St. Louis uh, Vacancy Project, mm-hmm. trying to work on what, how, you know, how do we get these neighborhoods that are obviously degraded, not by any cause, but just just because people will not maintain them because the the landlords, the people that own it, it's not cost effective to maintain them. Those are in locations that are close to working in a, in a densely populated urban area. If the state's responsible for maintaining that, you best believe it's going to get maintained because it's cheaper to keep something from breaking. It just yeah. it just is. Yeah. Um, I mean, so that's, you know, even like the lead, like Flint and, and cannot say this enough. Flint still does Doesn't not have, have clean water. water. It's the same water, the same water from from 2016 when it became a big thing. Flint is still having that issue. There are still neighborhoods that have worse lead than Flint ever had near Philadelphia and Chicago. Uh, you know, I, those things would be eradicated yeah. because it's not an expense that we need to cut and, you know, get a contract with some private corporation and da, da, da. It's Society would expect these things to be maintained. We all need water. Yeah. No one's going to drive an oil pipeline through water that the water 
you know, protectors are peacefully keeping. This will all be societally, you know, needed. Those people need water. We will protect that. We need nature, you know. I mean, so all these turnbacks are like environmental, you know, carbon footprint, pollution, just sheer use and demand, that all gets scaled back. The housing gets scaled back where there's not homelessness. You know, that that all gets fixed because people will demand it. Yeah. Okay. Th- this was a detour and Nathan did not yeah. uh, uh, fully understand his socialism as well as he needed to. <laughs> and this is why this podcast has two people on him. One of them's a dumb dumb who yells real loud and one of them's David. Hey, hey, hey. Now that's that's a pretty big compliment for uh, me. I'm a dumb dumb. No, 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 no. Uh, so anyway, we're gonna keep on going with Len. He's gonna say, "Speaking of the Blanquistes, why? Why must we speak of the Blanquistes? <laughs> speak of the Blanquistes' adoption of the fundamental position of Marxism after the Commune, and under the influence of his experience, Engels, in passing, formulates this position." As, and Engel says, the necessity of political action by the proletariat and of its dictatorship as the transition to the abolition of classes, and with them, the state. So Engels is saying, look, the, the, the dictatorship of the proletariat is how we're going to get rid of the state. Yeah. I mean, that's what needs to be done. It's a transition. It's a transition. We do not jump just to no state. Perdonists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see you out there. Uh, and then he's going to get into talking about Engels' references and anti-During, and Lenin's going to continue. It would not be surprising if the opportunist classed Engels, too, as an anarchist, <laughs> for it is becoming increasingly common with the social chauvinists to c- accuse the internationalists of anarchism. Marxism has always taught that with the abolition of classes, the state will also be abolished. The well-known passage on the withering way of the state and anti-During accuses the anarchists not simply of favoring the abolition of the state, but preaching that the state should be abolished overnight. And as as the now prevailing social democratic doctrine completely distorts the relationship to Marx of Marxism to anarchism on the question of abolition of the state, it will be particularly useful to recall a certain controversy in which Marx and Engels came out against the anarchists. And that's going to transition to section two. Or, I wonder what that would be titled. Yes. Uh, controversy so, with the anarchists. <laughs> And so he's going to talk about 1873, and, and Lenin's going to say, Marx and Engels contributed articles against the Predonists, autonomists, or anti-authoritarians to Italian <laughs> Socialist Journal. And it was not... Oh, remember when the Italians were socialists and, yeah. and we weren't having to deal with Jim Carrey fighting with Benito Mussolini's God granddaughter on Twitter? Stop. You remember when no. that was what Italy was doing? So I, I will say, if, if I'm going to scale bad in ruling class people, I would put... Benito Mussolini's granddaughter above anyone, and Jim Carrey was very right to draw those mocking. He's still an anti-vaxxer. Oh no, no, Jim, Jim Carrey and Jenny McCarthy are 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 on my on my list. I mean, yeah, they top like, of the get fucked list. Yeah, they. I was gonna say those those measle loving fucks could yeah. kiss my ass. People that made my mother feel like a piece of shit for a while because the, oh how dare they she vaccinate her kid and that gave yeah. her autism. Yeah, you go fuck yourself, Jim Carrey and Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, and Ace Ventura sucks. Yeah, and. For anyone, just as an aside, anyone who even wants to pretend that that movement is based on anything real oh, and not an unscientific thing published in English journal. Don't even give it the time of day. Oh, no, I, I just want to say, I just want to be clear. Just be clear. Even if it was true, you were talking about the most eugenicist genocide solution possible because you're literally saying measles kill. Oh, Bumps yeah. kill. You're literally saying... My kid is better off dead than autistic. That is grotesque beyond words. Yep. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yep. All right. Back to back to Lennon. Um, 
So they say, and it was not until 1913 that these articles appeared in the German Newsite. No, don't don't try that. German shit. We both know that in our game. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So he says, ridiculing the anarchists for their repudiation of politics, Marx wrote, if the political struggle of working class assumes revolutionary form, and if the workers set up their revolutionary dictatorship in in place of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, they commit the terrible crime of violating principles. For in order to satisfy their wretched, vulgar, everyday needs and to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie, they give the state a revolutionary and transient form instead of laying down their arms and abolishing the state. And so Lenin continues, it was solely against this kind of abolition of the state that Marx fought to refute anarchists. He did not at all oppose the view that the state would disappear when classes disappeared or that it be abolished when classes were abolished. What he did oppose was the proposition that the workers should renounce the use of arms, organized violence. That is the state, which is to serve to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie. If you don't stop the people who are going to kill you, they are going to kill you. See? Paris Commune. See, this is why we do all the extra readings, guys. It makes the chapter make a lot more sense. It makes, yeah, it's good, it's good. So we're going to skip down half a paragraph on Lenin and say, We do not, after all, differ from the anarchists on the question of the abolition of the state as the aim. Again, you know, I mean, anarchists and communists have the same goals. Yeah. We just have like four extra steps in between that they want to skip. Right. And if you don't follow those steps, you die. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing falls apart and it's, it's reactionary just, bullshit. And just FYI, there's this entire thing called history. Uh huh. And if you don't follow these steps, yeah, that, you die. History is proven. Uh huh. So, <laughs> Social, yeah, the revolution failed in Germany and oh, fuck Hitler. Oh, fuck. Yeah, we got Hitler. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, he's going to say, we maintain that to achieve this aim, we must temporarily make use of the instruments, resources, and mem- methods of state power against the exploiters, just as the temporary dictatorship of the oppressed classes is necessary for the abolition of classes. Uh, um, Marx chooses the sharpest and clearest way of stating his case against these anarchists. After overthrowing the yoke of the capitalist, should the workers lay down their arms or use them against the capitalists in order to crush the resistance? But what is the systemic use of arms by one class against another, if not a transient form of the state? Let every social democrat ask. Is that how I've been posing the question of the state in the controversy with the anarchists? Is that how it's been posed by the vast majority of official socialist parties in the Second International? Probably not. Probably not. Again, but again, it makes it makes it makes a lot of sense, and it makes sense as to why you saw it in the commune. The power the power struggle between and again, there were not a lot of members of the Second International in the actual commune, but you did definitely see the the the. The anarchists that were there, the Padonists that, that were there, would, they had the right moral idea. They didn't want to do bad bad things. None of the things they were trying to do were negatively in the interest of the commune. They wanted good things for the commune. They were just a little bit too idealistic, and that got mm-hmm. a lot of people killed, and you have to learn from that. Yeah, I mean, we will run back to, this is Lenin's view very much, and it's it's a hard one to repudiate, you know. Anarchists are good people with good goals that that we share with them. Yes. And they are very much revolutionary people. Yes. But if you follow what they put out with this anti-authoritarian stuff and everything like that, you're going to wind up just leaving the gate open to be crushed. 
And the and crushing so you can't let them lead the movement, or you will die. And the crushing is bad. The crushing is yes. full on. You leave that power vacuum open for a hot second, and full on fascism. Yes, it, and and of course, in a, in a modern time. day, in a modern day where socialism has existed to examine longer than the commune, uh, anarchism can also be used to radicalize people away like as anti-communists yes and that's dangerous to all of us yes uh especially when they're used as tools of imperialism or as ways to bash on say you know stalin or mao or anything like that and so don't ever let anarchists convince you of that and this isn't big we're not trying to i'm not i'm not trying to big tent because that's (laughs) i just i don't but Gotta rec- end of day, recognize who recognize that we're we are on the same team. We both want to get there. Let's have the discourse as to why. Let's come together and find out, you know, what's gonna get us there. But we want we we outnumber them, there's more of us, and we want the same thing. Do not let them divide us like that. Yes. Whereas social democrats, it's hard to be that stupid. Assuming they're they're knowledgeable. I mean, some are just, you know, in the dark and, and kind of weaning their way to things. But it's hard to be that stupid. Social democrats are not what they pose as like the end all be all better socialism that's more humane, like they say. Uh, they're certainly not what they pose as someone who can radicalize people, you know, further. Uh, they're they're a net, right? People yeah. move left, and all of a sudden, social democrats swoop up and catch them before they go too far left and hold them back in this liberalism. Um, you know, so like when you see people moving towards social Democrats and then moving farther left, it's because they were going left anyway. And and the social Democrats caught them. That's how they got that far left. So the idea that they're a launching pad is an illusion. Uh, but on top of that, they're, they're just at least the knowledgeable ones and the leaders of the movement are just bastard opportunists yeah. that are out to serve themselves and not the people. Period. And call us tankies. And call us tankies. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get back into the angles quotes. We're going to say, when I counter the most rabid anti-authoritarians with these arguments, the only answer they can give is the following. Oh, that's true. Except here is not the question of authority with which we vest our delegates, but of a commission. These people imagine they can change a thing by changing its name. If you and- want more fun dunks like that, listen to the episode that came out. Probably 24 hours before this, where I read you on authority. Yes. it's from that, and God, it's fun. It's wonderful. Uh, so let is going to continue. Having thus shown that authority and autonomy are relative terms, that the sphere of their application varies with the various phases of social development, that it is absurd to take them as absolutes, and adding to that sphere of application of machinery and large-scale production is steadily expanding... Engels passes from the general discussion of authority to the question of the state, and he writes, getting back to Engels, Mm. had the autonomous contended themselves with saying that the social organization of the future would allow authority only within the bounds which the conditions of production make it inevitable, one could have come to terms with them. But they are blind to all facts that make authority necessary, and they passionately fight the word. Why do the anti-authoritarians not confine themselves to crying out against political authority, the state. All the socialists are agreed that the state, and with it political authority, will disappear as resulting of the coming social revolution. That is, the public functions will lose their political character and become mere administrative functions of watching over social interests. 
But the anti-authoritarians demand that the political state be abolished at one stroke, even before the social relations that give birth to it have been destroyed. They demand that the first act of the social revolution shall be the abolition of authority. Have these gentlemen ever seen a revolution? <laughs> a revolution is certainly the most authoritarian thing there is. It is an act whereby a part of the population imposes its will upon the other part by means of rifles, bayonets, cannons, and all all of which are highly authoritarian means. And the victorious party must maintain its rule by means of the terror which its arms inspire in the reactionaries. Would the Paris Commune have lasted more than a day if it had not used the authority of the armed people against the bourgeoisie? Can we not, on the contrary, blame it for having made too little use of that authority? Therefore, one of two things. Either that anti-authoritarians don't know what they're talking about, in which case they are creating nothing but confusion, or they do know, in which case they are betraying the cause of the proletariat. In either case, they serve only reaction. Again, from back from when we did Lenin's on the Paris Commune, it it it, it is, and it, it it's hard to you want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I think that uh, from what I can tell, and again, if I, if it hasn't been exposed already that I am not the end all be all on this, I'm learning, we're learning this together as we go. It, it seems to be this differing, this split, um, is, is coming around when we, we can't, we can't agree what the start point is. We can't agree that that it is by its nature it, we we are going to need a state as a transitory mm-hmm. thing that we are going to need violence if violence is necessary to achieve our means and and marxists tend to have that ingrained that look you're not going to elect your way to it you're not going to get it peacefully and you're not going to get it any other way and you're not going to zap it away the second powers overturn and you're not going to and, and 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 I don't I think that's what I would want to and again I'm more than will I will and I would like to again we're not big tending this I don't want to oh well all sides I, I am curious as to what the anarchist argument is for one, how you overthrow the state without violence, and and two, how you maintain that for any period of time, well, without I, authority or violence. I think the question, as far as that, from what I know of, of anarchism, which I'm not a total stranger to, even if I'm not as schooled on as Marxism Leninism, is is the first question. You don't. They're not afraid of that. They're not afraid of that. Okay. Okay. It's the second question where there's an issue. Okay. Okay. And the second question, and and again. And I think I might have alluded to it before in the other episode where it's, you know, it's more of a fear of recreating the the authority all over again. Like they're not examining the social relations that created the authority in the state in the first place. So they're saying, well, I don't want someone to just seize power back over me so I can't create a power structure for them to seize. So is that is that the distinction then? Is that the the. Is there a dis- is, is yeah, that the anarchists is- don't think that the don't think that the social relations create the power structure? They think the power structure creates the social relations. I, I, I either they, <laughs> they think that in the first place, or they think that's the way it will be with what's been ripened now. Okay. Like maybe they think the state way back when was created, you know, by by uh, the power structures, and that's what gave the uh, formal authority. But at this point. They think that power structure is is what will fill in. Do you get what I'm saying? I I, I do I do. And yeah. again, I, I we're 
We're and both, neither of us are going to be good at this because no. neither of us honestly believe the other side of it. So trying to come to it in this way, I don't think sure, is going to Sure, but I'm, I'm trying to be very fair here. No, I, and that's the thing. Yeah, we are. And, and I, even if I wanted to, in good faith, engage in this argument, yeah. I haven't researched it. I, I don't yeah. know it enough to know where it is. I've only seen its consequences through, uh, again, what we're doing here. Yeah. Now, um, I do want to get back to, to the work a little bit here, but I, I think that was important. a good side to, to, to go. go, go. <laughs> Probably important to actually get to the work and the yeah. thing about the work. Uh, but I want to go back to that last sentence, because I last two sentences, because I know that. Yeah. Therefore, one of two things, either that the anti-authoritarians don't know what they're talking about, in which case they're creating nothing but confusion, or they do know, and in that case they're betraying the cause of the proletariat. In either case, they only serve reaction. Now, you... You know how we talked about the first paragraph you can plug and play, guys? Like, we should not take away at all that Lenin meant Marx as the most important takeaway from the first paragraph. But you could plug in, you know, MLK and, you know, everybody else there, right? Have that healthy discussion. This same little segment, that same little three sentences, mm-hmm. do not take away that Engels is talking about anti-authoritarians. But you could also take that and you can say, okay, well, what about the people that say, oh, you're Jihist or you're, you know, a sadist or, or something like that? You know, either they don't know what they're talking about or they do and they're betraying the cause of anti-imperialism. Mm-hmm. And in either case, they only serve reaction. You know, I mean, that's that's something that you can apply to other situations. So I, I do really love those three sentences for what they are, just the total subject that they are in on authoritarian or on authority that they are period and a story. And that's the most important takeaway you should ever have from it. Yep. Uh, you also should force plugging into it, but you should be able to read that. And those other things should pop into your head. You know, you should think about like talking about, you know, Venezuela and mm-hmm. Maduro, you know, you should say, therefore, what of two things, either the anti Maduro, you know, poor Guaido people, Pro Guaido people don't know what they're talking about, in which case they're creating nothing but confusion, or they do know, in which case they're betraying the cause of the Venezuela people, the Bolivarian Revolution, anti-imperialism. Which, in either case, they only serve reaction. And 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 that's <laughs> that should be very disheartening to any of you who are very very committed to this concept of of electoralism will get us where we want to go, and you look at every one of your candidates who are very, very much talking about big authoritarian strongman Maduro. And yeah. Even if they're not implicitly okay with the... I mean, the the, the most left take you can get out of an elected official right now is, well, we don't agree with the coup, but Maduro's still bad. Like, right. that's the best take you can yeah, get. Yeah, in which case... How is that going to discourage the coup? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not. Right? Like, I don't agree with surgery, but this disease is going to kill this person. Like, then why wouldn't you have the fucking surgery also, or get the medicine? It is know? very good. I was I was getting very concerned uh, that we hadn't found a way to make this Russia's problem. But thankfully, in the last week or so, we have managed to, yes. to get Russia yes. involved. And it is important but- that Russia gets out of Venezuela's business because, damn it, that's our business and we should be in there Yeah, that. and we couldn't do that with the 7 million tons of AIDS because no. they, they, or was it? No. <laughs> wait, wait, 7, 7 million tons of AIDS or AIDS? Because se- <laughs> sending them 7 million tons of AIDS is not a good thing. I, I stand by that firmly. No, okay, fine. We couldn't do that with all the aid that, that Russia was actually sending in there and we're saying that they got no aid because that would have disrupted that narrative. But now that they're sending diplomats, mm. all they're sending diplomats, Russia is getting ready to, to military control this. Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
So anyway, uh, back to the text. We're going to go on to Lenin's read of Angles on Authority. And he's going to say, these questions are the transformation of public functions from political into simple functions of administration in the political state. This last term, one particularly liable to misunderstanding, indicates the process of withering away of the state at a certain stage of this process that the state is withering away may be called a non-political state. Again, the most remarkable thing in Engels' argument is the way he states his case against the anarchist. Social Democrats claiming to be disciples of Engels had argued on this subject against the anarchist millions of times since 1873, but they managed not to argue as Marxists could and should. The anarchist's idea of abolition of the state is muddled and non-revolutionary. That is how Engels put it. It is precisely the revolution and its rise and development with its specific task in relation to violence, authority, power, and the state that the anarchists refuse to see. The usual criticism of anarchism by present-day social democrats has boiled down to the purest Philistine banality. We recognize that the state, whereas the anarchists do not. Naturally, such banality could not but repel workers who are at all capable of thinking and who are revolutionary-minded. And we're going to skip a little half paragraph here. A little bit. Engels takes the bull by the horns, and he asks, should not the commune have made more use of the revolutionary power of the state that is of the proletariat armed and organized of the ruling class? Prevailing official social democracy usually dismiss the question of the concrete task of the proletariat in the revolution, either with a Philistine sneer or, at best, with a sophistic evasion. The future will show... And the anarchists were justified in saying about such social democrats that they were failing in their task of giving the workers a revolutionary education. Oh, God damn it. Yes. <laughs> it just never, it really just never gets. No. It just, it just never changes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go into now the letter to Babel. Yes. Why wouldn't we? Yes. Woot, 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 oh, woot. oh, oh, shit. All right. Alerts pop up. ISO just folded. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I kind of figured that was coming. I was, <laughs> I, the, like nationally, right? It's yeah. Chapters were folding. I kind of heard no, it's it was dissolved officially. Yeah. ISO dissolved. Which, I mean, let's be very clear. Um, we're not going to ding dong the witch is dead because this is a very real no. problem lots of organizations have. Yes. And your reaction should be look internally and fix this. And our please, organization. Yes, please find a way to. Misogyny is a very pervasive issue. Yes. Uh, that said, on the good side, uh, when people think of socialists as rich white college kids who don't really care about other countries, uh, that's that's the ISO. That's what they are, or were. So they on were. one hand, bad Trotskyist misogyny people go down. On the other hand, don't, we lost communists and don't be, we need to freaking find a way to fix this so that we can create a lasting party. Yeah, I mean, you know, the ISO is one of those places that sit there and complain about like, oh, why are we so white without thinking like, well, there's got to be an actual reason maybe we should look at fixing some shit. Um, and, and they would sit there and they would tell you like Assad really is evil and Rahava's, you know, the base of freedom and, and whatever pro-imperialist shit. I mean, they were, they were Noam Chomsky (laughs) personified into a party. They were, they were a very bad thing. That said, any communist party has these structural issues and we have to resolve them and taking it as, aha, the ISO went down and not, Oh shit! This this pervasive misogyny. We've really got to get this out of all of our communist organizations, and and our you know enemy is definitely like the capitalists and the reactionaries and stuff like that. You know, we we, we should not be celebrating this. We should be looking humbly and internally about like yes. how the fuck do we fix this problem in our orgs, and then separately 
make sure orgs are disciplined in anti-imperialism and proper understanding of, of history and theory and things like that. Time for a little bit of self-crit uh, yeah. of organizations. Let's go. Absolutely. Back to Bebel. Back to Bebel. That I kept reading as Babel over and over and over again. I always read it as Babel. I guess it's Bebel. Babel. I don't know. Bible. Uh, so anyway, Engels wrote to Bebel, Babel, criticizing the same draft of the Gotha program that Marx criticized in his famous letter to Brach. 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 And you'll all hear about that next week. Next week. <laughs> Uh, referring specifically to the question of the state, Engels said, and Engels quote, the free people state has been transferred into the free state. Taken its grammatical sense, a free state is one where the state is free in relation to its citizens. Hence, a state where the despotic government, the whole talk about the state should be dropped, especially since the commune, which was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. The people state has been thrown in our faces by the anarchists to the point of disgust. Although already Marx's book against Proudhon and the later Communist Manifesto say plainly that with the introduction of the socialist order of society, the state dissolves itself and disappears. As the state is only a transitional institution which should be used of the struggle in the revolution to hold down one's adversaries by force, it's sheer nonsense to talk of the free people state. So long as the proletariat still needs the state, it does not need it in the interest of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries. And as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom of the state, such ceases to exist. We would therefore propose replacing the state everywhere by Geimenweisen. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. A good old German word, which could very well take the place of the French word commune. It, I mean, and again, it's it's. We just got done with our critique of the Gotha program, so we're we're very uh, very yeah. high on the uh, the why that was nonsense and the concept of the free yeah, state. But it, again, and the listeners, you you didn't get done with that, but you're getting no, it next you'll week. get it next. Week. We are Tarantinoing the shit out of this podcast yes. right now. We are back and without the weird racism and problematicness that is, yes. you know, um, it, it just yeah, it is so. It, it's just so much nonsense double talk that just doesn't have any this free people's state of what 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 are you, what huh yeah why and, and and i do want to say too because something that may confuse people they hear a lot of times from socialist anti-imperialist countries like the peoples like the democratic people's republic of uh korea you know stuff yes. like that the reason that works is because the proletariat, just like in the Paris Commune, as you know, who was mostly left, the the their bourgeoisie is the imperial powers yes. coming to colonize them, and so their state exists to protect them from those imperial powers to push them out. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so really, all of the people who are Korean, that is a free people state for them. So that is the People's Republic. Yes. Uh, so that does not fall into the branch of what Lenin or what um, Engels was ridiculing here as the People State. What he's talking about as the People State is a regular state with a presence of all classes, and it can't be a state of all the people because some of these people are the exact people we need to suppress. That's the it, whole point of the state. It, it's this concept that if you just give universe, if you just give people enough stuff, enough universal suffrage, enough democracy, they will of their own solve all the world's ills and and get rid of this and then the, all we just need is more vote and and it, it, it it's yeah it's just not true it's just not true it's it's obviously not true in a ca- 
in a system where capitalism is still your overarching is your base. Yeah. You're never going to get enough democracy to fix yourself. Nope. Also, I would love to see what he, he does reference that in Marx's book against Proudhon. Um, I want that book. I want that book very bad. I don't want to talk about it on this but I just want that as my as my under my pillow reading right now. Marx's book against Mar- Proudhon. Whatever Marx had to say against Proudhon, yes, you were right. Mar- yes, God, that would probably clarify some of your difference between communists and anarchists. So bitter right now. No, I'm going to assume they got better since Proudhon. Okay. Cool. I my rage at Proudhon does not translate to modern anarchists. I assume you all learned your lessons from that fuckhead. Um, but God damn it, like, oh, oh, the rage. Nathan's not very happy that people in the commune. I'm still, I am, I'm still very upset about my poor communards. I really am. I'm like actively upset about it. So we're going to continue on Lenin, and and Lenin's reacting to the Engels reading, saying it should be borne in mind that this letter refers to the party program that Marx criticized in a letter dated only a few weeks later than the above. Marx's letter is dated May 5th, and that Engels was living with Marx in London. I want that sitcom. I want that. Was there an anime movie or something? Oh, if there is, if there, if there is, please everyone link it to me. Please God, yeah, link it to I me. think there's one coming out. Oh that, yes. fuck yes! Oh, I want, I yes. want the Marx and Engels living it up in a London show, please. <laughs> Consequently, when he says "we" in the last sentence, Engels undoubtedly, in his own name as well as Marx's, suggests to the leader of the German Workers Party that the word "state" be struck out of the program and replaced by the word "community." Yep. What a howl about anarchism will be raised by the leading lights of present-day Marxism, which has been falsified for the convenience of the opportunist. If such an amendment of the program were suggested to them, let them howl. This will earn them the praises of the bourgeoisie. Is this Lenin's let them eat cake? That's let them howl? <laughs> let the fools howl. We'll have a revolution. Oh, my God. Uh, skipping down, paragraph and a half. We're going to say, in German, there are two words meaning community, of which Engels used the one that does not denote a single community, but a totality, a system of communities. In Russian, or in, and of course in English, there is no such word. We may have to choose the French word commune, although this also has its drawbacks. The commune was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. This is the most theoretically important statement Engels makes. After what has been said above, the statement is perfectly clear. The commune was ceasing to be a state since it had to suppress not the majority of the population, but a minority, the exploiters. It had smashed the bourgeoisie state machine, the place of the special coercive force. The population itself came onto the scene. All this was a departure from the state in the proper sense of the word. And had the commune become firmly established, all traces of the state in it would have withered away. Of themselves, it would have not had to abolish the institutions of the state. They would have ceased to function as they ceased to have anything to do. And that's clarifying what we're talking about with withering away of the state. Exactly. And that, and that's not saying... So the, so they're, it's very clear. The commune was... Yeah. There would still be like a central bank and that kind of thing. Yeah, that, there was. There was yeah. a... Pol- the commune had a police force. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, the commune... They had all of the trappings of yeah. a, a standard bourgeois state. And it I was... think it's somewhere in Chapter 5 he'll talk about, you know, there won't be these tools necessary for class suppression... But you will have, like, you know, individual needs needed to be addressed. And that's going to include, like, laws. Laws will not be these forces of class oppression. There won't be police coming out surrounding a protest. But someone assaults someone. 
they're still going to need to be taken away. Exactly. Yeah. More, lot, lot more of, again, the people in your community. And you hear this a lot when you, it was one of the most interesting, it was very early on when I was starting down, down the path and kind of looking at this is someone on Twitter was talking about, about abolishing the police and about what that would be. And, and it, and for, especially when you're new, I mean, if you're not in this, yeah, it's how shocking that's a very, it sounds like a very shocking thing. And the, and the way she articulated it was so well, it was look and in, in, in my community, the police are not here to protect us. The police show at best show up an hour after something has happened, take notes and leave. They're reactionary at best. Mm-hmm. If, if that's the best you can do, what good are they to us? They are, they serve my community. I don't, if they serve your community, maybe find your way. But in my community, I can tell you they don't serve me. I would rather, if we all acknowledge that, if you think there's a, 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 a protective force, if you assume, well, someone else will take care of that. Mm-hmm. You take the onus off yourself. If you remove the concept of the police and said the, the community is responsible for policing itself, the community's going to police itself. People will naturally stand up in that void, and, and community about, morals are going to determine what does and does not go, and will hold themselves in check in that way. Yeah, and there's a certain level that communities still do that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Um, the other thing, you know, you're going to have to realize too is even the places where police in the modern day are useful and they're isolated as the people that can be useful in that situation. There's no reason they're the ones that are useful. That's just arbitrary to give them importance. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it on the show before, you know, when you have a traffic accident, yeah. why is the Department of Transportation taking care of that? When you lost your kid, that's very scary. You certainly are going to love the police for a second if they find your kid back. Why does it have to be the police that do that? Why aren't you taking a community group, going out searching for the kid and leaving contact? Why can't people contact? And we already are basically doing that. We have an Amber Alert system. We all have, I mean, the, the, yeah. the, 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 we have the means to yeah, crowd. Yeah, we force, like, the Amber Alert to contact to the police. Yeah. You could make a central child-finding unit. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's no reason these things have to be police. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, but it is now, if you, no, I take that back. Um, because I was going to say, Telling people when they can and can't cross the street with the white gloves is important, but there are mimes that are out of work and they've got the gloves. They can absolutely <laughs> direct traffic, and they're probably better but, at but it. But the fire department does that sometimes. Uh, you, department of transportation again can easily do that. But I would prefer give the out of work mime something to do. Okay, but then they're going to get confused and stuck in their box. Well, yeah, yeah but then no one's going to get in an accident because they don't want to run into the box. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get back to Lenin here and say the people state has been thrown in our faces by the anarchists. In saying this, Engels above all has in mind Bakunin and his attacks on the German Social Democrats. Wow, this seems wildly relevant. <laughs> Nothing else to say about that. <laughs> Engels admits that these attacks were justified insofar as the people state was as much an absurdity as and as much a departure from socialism as the free people state. Engels tried to put in the struggle of the German Social Democrats against the anarchists on the right lines to make this struggle correct in principle, to rid it of opportunist prejudices concerning the state. Unfortunately, Engels' letter was pigeonholed for 36 years. We've talked about Marx and Engels were out of Germany. And oh, yeah. they were getting their shit filtered. That's part of why, you know, Lenin wrote this. Uh, It says, we shall see further on that. Even after this letter was published, Kautsky persisted in virtually the same mistakes against which Engels had warned. 
Bebel, Babel, replied to Engels in a letter dated September 21st, 1875, in which he wrote, among other things, that he fully agreed with Engels on his opinion of the draft program and that he reproached Liebknecht for his readiness to make concessions. But if we take Babel's pamphlet, Our Aims, we find their views on the state that are absolutely wrong. And he's going to take a Babel, Babel quote here. It says, the state must be transformed from one based on class rule into a people's state. This was printed in the ninth. Ninth! ninth. <laughs> Big exclamation point. Ninth! What the hell? Edition of Babel's pamphlet. It is not surprising that opportunist views on the state so persistently repeated were absorbed by German social democrats, especially if Engels' revolution... Uh, revolutionary interpretations have been safely pigeonholed and all conditions of life were such as to wean them from revolution for a long time. The next section is the criticism of the draft of the Erfurt program. Yeah, this is the Erfurt. other. There's like the Golga, there's there's the uh, Nine. Gotha program, and then there was also a, a random Erfurt program. Erfurt. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as I, I, guys. There will not be a se- a second hour and twenty minutes supplemental on critiques of the Erfurt program. Is all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but we do get yes. to involve Kautsky, so please we let's involve him. Kautsky. So. In analyzing Marx's teachings on the state, the criticism of the draft of the Air Force program sent by Engels to Kautsky on June 9, 1891, and published only 10 years after News 8, could not be ignored. Just we're not going to talk about pronunciation. No. For it was the opportunist views of the Social Democrats on questions of the state organization that this criticism is mainly concerned. We shall note in passing that Engels also makes an exceedingly valuable observation on the economic questions that shows how attentively and thoughtfully he watched the various changes occurring in modern capitalism and how, for this reason, he was able to foresee a certain extent the tax of our present imperialist epoch. Here it is the observation referring to the words planlessness used in the draft program as characteristic of capitalism. Engels wrote, when we pass from joint stock companies to trust, which assume control over and monopolize whole industries, it is not only private production that ceases, but also planlessness. Like, you fools, you fucking fools. <laughs> These are imperialists. Yeah. They have plans. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Stop stop calling them idiots. Yes. All right? The, the, they, they stumbled into this random event. I mean, no, no, yes. no, they didn't. Like, George Bush might have been an idiot. But he was the grandson of a not, or he's the son of a CIA boss and the grandson of a Nazi. And fucking Cheney and Rumsfeld were not idiots; they're just assholes. These guys are not idiots; they're assholes. So I figured he's the grandson of the Nazi guy, and then Benito he, Mussolini's granddaughter's getting. There's a lot of like random fail sons that are just popping up in government. They yeah. we gotta stop this shit, people. Yes, yes. All right, so here we have what is most essential in the theoretical appraisal of the latest phase of capitalism, imperialism. Yeah. We'll get more into depth there. Hey, guess what? There'll be a whole book on it. There'll be a whole book. Namely, that capitalism becomes monopoly capitalism. The latter must be emphasized because of the erroneous bourgeoisie reformist assertion that monopoly capitalism or state monopoly capitalism is no longer capitalism, but can now be called state socialism and so on. It is very common. The trusts, of course, never provided 
do not now provide and cannot provide complete planning. But however much they do plan, however much the capitalist magnets calculate in advance, the volume of production on a national and even on an international scale, and however much they systematically regulate it, we will still remain under capitalism. At its new stage, it is true, but still capitalism without a doubt. The proximity of such capitalism to socialism should serve genuine representatives of the proletariat as an argument proving the proximity, fallacy, feasibility, and urgency of the socialist revolution, not at all as an argument for tolerating repudiation of such revolution and the efforts to make capitalism look more attractive, something all reformists are trying to do. Don't listen to the assholes that tell you the army is a large socialist organization. Don't do it. (laughs) I, Don't do it. I, so, I, <clears throat> he's he's saying he he's basically digging into the people that say like you know, um, socialism is when the state does things and yeah. the more the state does, the more socialist it does. That's not true. The state definitely has its hands in imperialism, and it is still very much capitalism. So I'm I, I can't believe I let it get this far. And I don't understand this part, so we're going to... Sorry, this is... Nathan's an idiot. We're going to break it down for a while. When we pass from joint stock companies to trust, which assume mm-hmm. control over and monopolize whole industries, it's not only private production that ceases, but also planlessness. Is he... Does he think that when we pass from joint stock companies to trusts, mm-hmm. is that... When, when it's in trust, is that like when the government is takes control over it? Or are we talking about the capitalist? I'm trying to figure out if this planlessness is a critique of it's it's centralized control in any way, okay, private so, or government. But it's it's when they're when they're collaborated in monopolies. But so this this, this thing about planlessness is it yeah. it gets the sense that capitalism is by its nature unplanned. It it, it goes in its little booms and busts, and it doesn't it doesn't it, it goes off supply and demand. The yeah. pl- the planning seems to be would see at least in my head seems to be a a positive thing a thing that they want they want it planned they want the the uh the industries to know what they're going to do and, and be geeky. but who's uh, it i mean this is just like we're talking about the, the theory of the state who's it planned in the behest of oh no 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 100 percent. it needs to be okay. so i'm just try, I'm, I'm trying to i'm really just trying to figure out if that quote is saying that planlessness is good or planlessness is bad is saying that it's not planless and and it's important to note that because it, you know eradicating planlessness does not make something socialist. Okay. And that's that's a direct dig on these reformist policies. There it is. No, no, no. It's still okay. I get it. I get it. It's right here. It's there. It's it, it, it even if you try and plan it all out, if you're planning it all out under capitalism, it's still going to fucking fail because yeah. capitalism is still your underpinning. So you can have a, oh, we've planned it all and it's all ready to go. But if you're not, if that's not done under a social, if that's not done under a system that's working on behalf of the proletariat, yes. at the end of the day, you're still going to fuck it up because capital. Okay. Nope. Got it. Yeah, Sorry. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing. You have to abolish the state and then you can win. Yes. Away. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Took, took a minute. Got there. Okay. We're there. We <laughs> welcome. Got... Welcome to understanding live people. This is yeah. why you read it with other people. This yeah, shit this is can exactly be difficult. why you group read, why you have these group discussions. This can be difficult. Yes. 
Uh, so we're going to continue on and say, in regard to the Republic, Engels made this the focal point of this criticism of the draft of the Air Force program. And when we recall the importance of the Air Force program acquired from all social democrats of the world and that it became the model for the whole Second International, we may say without exaggeration that Engels thereby criticizes the opportunism of the whole Second International. Engels wrote, the political demands of the draft have one great fault. It lacks precisely what should have been said. <laughs> That's kind of a dig. Uh, a little bit. That's a little dig. A little bit. Angles There's only can... one thing wrong. Everything. Angles, Angles' his burns are more reserved, but he, he uses them when he needs to. Yes. Later on, he makes it clear that the German Constitution is, strictly speaking, a copy of the extremely reactionary Constitution of 1850. That the Reichstag is only... Reichstag. Reichstag. I'm going to burn that one in your brain. Gosh, Reichstag. It'll happen. As only Wilhelm Liebknecht could put it, the fig leaf of absolutism. And that to wish to transform all the instruments of labor into common property on the basis of a constitution that legalizes the existence of petty states and the federation of petty German states is an obvious absurdity. You can't be socialist and imperialist. No. And again, this is back to, back to things we did context on. The reactionary constitution of 1850. What was the reactionary constitution of 1850 a reaction to? It was a reaction to 1848. It was a reaction to all of these people demanding, oh, we need we need freedom. We want to we want freedom from the so they were pushing for social change or pushing for political change. The the right the, the these these you know consolation constitutions that they got to pacify the people in result of that, again, we're just the same ruling class giving meaningless concessions. The Reichstag is there is is Congress. It's a meaning it's parliament. It's a meaningless concession when everyone can throw it out in a heartbeat. When the when the monarch can say, nope, done, dissolved and kick it out, it has no power. It is meaningless. It is just a, a showpiece. It's your it's your new deal that they can turn around and, and strip you, away. Exactly. And if you haven't and, and again if you haven't transformed all the instruments of labor into common property you haven't got the, and we keep talking about it. It's the root. You can keep weed whacking the freaking dandelions down, get the freaking root, or it's going to be the same thing in two weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To touch on that is dangerous, however, Engels added, knowing only too well that it was legally impossible to include on the program a demand for a republic in Germany. But he refused to merely accept this obvious consideration, which satisfied, quote unquote, everybody. And he continued, Nevertheless, somehow or other, the thing has to be attacked. How necessary this is shown precisely at the present time by opportunism, which is gaining ground in a large section of the social democratic press. Fearing a renewal of the anti-socialist law, or recalling all manner over the hasty pronouncements made during the reign of that law, they now want the party to find the present legal order in Germany adequate for putting through all party demands by peaceful means. But you're not going to get it with electoral politics. Nope, nope. I'm going to write that. that I just finished that as a little song. I was about to say, we're going to come up with it. We're going to come up with a jiggles. drop that we can put every time I need. Just It'll be easier to just hit a button and have that I, go I will off. practice my nope, nope. <laughs> so let it continue. Eggles particularly stressed the fundamental fact that the German Social Democrats were prompted by fear of the renewal of the anti-socialist law and explicitly described it as opportunism. He declared that precisely because there was no republic and no freedom in Germany, the dreams of a peaceful path were perfectly absurd. Uh <laughs> Jumping back in Engels' quotes, say, In Germany, where the government is almost omnipotent and the Reichstag, 
Reichstag. 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 And all other representative bodies have no real power to advocate such a thing in Germany, where, moreover, there is no need to do so. Means removing the fig leaf from absolutism and becoming oneself a screen for its nakedness. <laughs> uh, that's a fun one. Yeah, and then you're going to jump down and say, in the long run, such a policy can only lead to one's one's own party astray. They gen- they push general abstract political questions into the foreground, thereby concealing the immediate concrete questions, which at the moment of the first great events, the first political crisis, automatically pose themselves. What can result from this except that the decisive moment of the party suddenly proves helpless and that the uncertainty and discord on the most decisive issues rein it in because these issues have never been discussed? This forgetting of the great, princi- the principal consideration, the momentary interest of the day, this struggle and striving for the success of the moment, regardless of later consequences, the sacrifice of the future of the movement for its present day may be honestly meant... But it is and remains opportunism, and honest opportunism is perhaps the most dangerous of all. It is one thing to be certain that it is our party work, uh, the working class, that can only come to power in the form of a democratic republic. This is even the specific form for the dictatorship of the proletariat, as the Great French Revolution has already shown, of course, referring to the Paris Commune. Yes. Um, you know, and so that, that's something that's, that's very, very clear there. It, who cares about intent? Yeah. Opportunism is opportunism. Yeah. Engels gets the fear. Lenin gets the fear. You're still driving your party the wrong way. Exactly. As soon as you set that up as as a as a thing that you want, as the thing that is achievable, mm-hmm. as soon as you, people get that, they're gonna it, it's gonna turn off. You're gonna turn off that and yeah. any revolutionary energy. They're gonna think that mission accomplished. Just people by nature are not. When you move the goalposts again to the actual goal, they're, they're not gonna, ready to restart. Yeah, they're not going to be. Well, why didn't you tell us this? if you can't? It's it's back to what we were talking about in uh-huh. uh, the uh, the critique of the Gotha program. Mm-hmm. If your program requires you to not do what needs to be done, don't do the program. Don't do it. Don't say anything. Just agree. We don't agree with this. The current state. We are. We are. Uh, as a people, we're together against this common enemy. Talk to you later. Don't put together a pamphlet. You don't. It's not necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. So Lenin's going to continue. Engels realized here, in a particularly striking form, the fundamental idea that runs through all of Marx's work, namely that the democratic republic is in the nearest approach to the dictatorship of the proletariat. Such a republic, without in at least abolishing the rule of capital, and therefore the oppression of the masses in the class struggle, inevitably leads to such an extension, development, unfolding, and intensification of the struggle, that as soon as it becomes possible to meet the fundamental interest of the oppressed masses, this possibility is realized inevitably and solely through the dictatorship of the proletariat, through the leadership of those masses by the proletariat. These two are the, quote-unquote, forgotten words of Marxism for the whole of the Second International. And the fact that they have been forgotten was demonstrated with particular vividness by the history of the Menshevik Party in its first six months of the Russian Revolution (laughs) in 1917. When did Engels write, or when did Lenin write this? When did Lenin write this? Er, Early, early 1917? Yeah, mid-1917. Mid-1917? We had hit October yet, have we? We, we haven't. We, he gets to chapter seven around October. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll see that. We're going to jump into another Engels quote and say, What should take place of the present-day Germany with its reactionary monarch, monarch, monarchical. monarchical monarchy thing? 
constitution and its equally reactionary division into petty states, a division which it all uh, which perpetuates all the specific features of Prussianism instead of dissolving Germany as a whole. In my view, the proletariat can only use the form of the one and the indivisible republic. The gigantic territory of the United States, a federal republic, is still on the whole a necessity, although in the eastern states it is already becoming a hindrance. It will be a step forward in Britain, where the two islands are peopled by four nations, and in spite of a single parliament, three different systems of legislation already exist side by side. And little Switzerland has been long a hindrance, tolerable only because Switzerland is content to be a purely passive member of the European state system. For Germany, federalization on the Swiss model would be an enormous step backwards. Two points of distinction of the Union state from completely unified state. First, that each member state, each canton, has its own civil and criminal legislative and judicial system. And second, that alongside the popular chamber, there's also a federal chamber in which each canton, whether large or small, votes in such. So Engels is, I mean, he's kind of leaning towards centralism right there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I mean, pretty... I, and they, they, they made it very clear that, at the t- again, you got to contextualize at the time, at the time, mm-hmm. If you weren't going to go full dictatorship of the proletariat, the closest thing you could get, and I don't... He's a centralized republic. Yeah, when he talks about the French, Re- the great French Revolution, I don't know if he's talking about the commune there. I think, oh, I legitimately think he's talking about... Seven, I think he's talking about 1780. Really? I think he's talking about the OG French Revolution. Hmm. Um, because, again, he when he talks about that the specific form is a democratic republic, that's the government... That the French, that the the seventeen eighty French Revolution set up the hmm. the Robespierre, you know, you have your 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 prime minister, your monarch, whatever, and then you had a, a, a elected house that ran things. You had universal suffrage on that. Eighteen forty eight never even got there, um, and the commune certainly wasn't a democratic republic. Uh, it, it's it's not wasn't yeah, big enough. It, it was the commune. No, it didn't last long enough, and it wasn't set up in that structure. Yeah. It just wasn't designed like that. The only the only democratic republic the French had up to this point would have been the the French Revolution before it devolved into the you know uh, Napoleonic the, era. Well, no, not even that. Before it devolved into the Commission on Public Safety, Committee of Public mm-hmm. Safety, and and all the uh, all the fun stuff. I think, and again, that would have been in Europe at the time, contemporary to this. That's the closest you got to the American model, uh, which which at that time was the revolutionary uh, people vote for your president, vote for your Congress kind of thing. Because after the French lost and you got Napoleon um, and then it was all a matter. None of these were were it, it was a difference between was was it a monarch or was it an emperor or was it a dictator? But it was never was it a bicameral legislature that we voted on by people and then they were responsible Mm. to an executive kind of thing. So, I I mean, at the time that they're talking, yeah, the, as as kind of archaic as it seems now, the parliamentary system or or bicameral legislature, democratic Republic is the closest thing to the dictatorship of the proletariat, because it's the only thing that involves the actual people in any degree and it's the 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 it's not there, but it's it's closer and, than what yeah. they were dealing with before. And as we can see now, it's still shit. Exactly. And now shit. again, Marx and Engels writing now, you would be talking about the Democratic Republic in the same way you talk about um, that they're talking about monarchism and they're talking about you know yeah. empiricism. Is yeah, it is. We have seen what it is. It has served its purpose. It is outdated. It is obviously not going to get us to the dictatorship of the proletariat. Time for whatever comes next. All right, so we're going to say, in Germany, 
Oh, actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and skip that section because we just ran through all that pretty well. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the next Engels quote and say, So then a unified republic, but not in the sense of the present French Republic, which is nothing but the empire established in 1798 without the emperor. From 1792 to 1798, each French department, each commune, enjoyed a complete self-governance of the American model. Yeah, fire it all said. I got it. I Nathan, Nathan's got it. And this is what we too must have. How self-governance to be organized and how we can manage without a bureaucracy has been shown to us by America <laughs> and the First French Republic. God how am, how to work without bureaucracy, hard. the American tale. Oh, Angles, you naive bastard. Yes, yes. I We've said before, Marx and Angles were not unfamiliar with America. They were not fans of it. But there were certain things that they thought, okay, we can use this model. And when you read how they describe that, how, yeah. when you have describe that, it's like, ah, uh, you know, that's given America like way too much credit. Way too much. Yeah. Infinitely um, too much. Yeah. They, I mean, they definitely did not dig in about, they, they cared about the slavery being an issue. Yeah. Um, they were not fans of capitalism, but they did not dig in enough about how America went from colony to imperial power in like zero seconds flat. They dig in enough the genocide of indigenous people to, to push there. And they didn't dig in enough about how, I, I mean, it was just class from the beginning. Which is honestly not their job. No, that, I that mean, is they our were job. In Europe. Exactly. They were talking they were in about Europe. They're talking about their circumstances in their countries and countries they're adjacent to. Yeah. It's our job to call out our bullshit. Yes. Yes. Um, and so Engels is going to talk about self-governance in the Clause of Pro and say the complete self-governance of the provinces, districts and communes through officials elected by universal suffrage and the abolition of all provincial authorities appointed by the state. And Lenin's going to continue. I have already on occasion to point out in Pravda, and that was the newspaper at the time that was being uh, run by Stalin and that was their, their big, I think Pravda means like the word or freedom or something if, like that. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, and you don't know what the fuck Pravda is. What? How yeah. did you get here? Please send me a letter. I know, but I don't. I don't remember get the literal Russian Twitter translation and... of the name though. Oh, I, cool. that I don't. I don't. I, I, but yeah, it was the paper that Stalin ran. That was the major yeah. paper throughout the Soviet Union. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and, and it was obviously a big part of the revolution. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a paper before Stalin ran it. I mean, it's sure. it's been a paper for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it says, which was suppressed by the government of Kerensky and other, quote unquote, socialist ministers. How on this point, of course, not on this point alone by any means, are pseudo-socialist representatives of pseudo-revolutionary pseudo-democracy have made a glaring departure from democracy. Naturally, people who have bound themselves by a coalition to the imperialist bourgeoisie have remained deaf to this criticism. It is extremely important to note that Engels, armed with facts... Disproved by the most precise example, the prejudice that is very widespread, particularly among petty bourgeois Democrats, that a federal republic necessarily means a greater amount of freedom than the centralized. This is wrong. It is disproved by the fact that Engels cites regarding the centralized French Republic of 1792 to 98 in the federal Swiss Republic. The really democratic centralized republic gave more freedom than the federal republic. In other words, the greatest amount of local, regional, and other types of freedom known to history was accorded by centralized, not federal republic. Yep. And uh, Pravda means truth. Truth, thank truth you. Truth is what it translates I, I was going to say, there's a very pertinent word, yeah. single word translation. Founded in 1912. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, so obviously you can see how big of a deal it was in, in Russian Revolution. Yup. Yup. Um, but I, I do want to take a little, uh, 
aside from the last piece here, where we're talking about central uh, centralism. Yeah. To give you an idea of something American that kind of shows the difference between federalism and centralism, we're very aware of the many flaws in, obviously, the public schooling system, the, the very pro-Western history that's taught and the white supremacist taught. Obviously, the issues there's been with public schooling and indigenous populations and, and indoctrination there. The fact that they make your kids pledge allegiance to a flag every damn morning. The fact that there's cops shoved in there. All those things. But public schools also can be, on the whole, good. I mean, they're better than fucking charter schools and private schools, for God's sake. You know, they're educating our children. Uh, they're putting people together socially. Teachers certainly care about kids and, and, and you know, they, they can make sure kids are fed, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I'm about to say an offside of that is is they do far more work than they get credit for in the with the backpack programs and things making sure kids, kids are fed su- at school and then kids who going into the summer they know will not be trying to support i mean they they do they do as much if not more community service than almost any other public institution i can think of yeah and school boards as boring as they are, are one of the closest things to an actual democracy that you can see in america yes um, with all those things, one of the big things that public schools also have an issue with is being unequal school to school. And the reason being is they are funded by property taxes. And those aren't nationwide. It's not like there's a big centralized property tax and then they go out and they make sure there's schooling and they try to keep the class sizes about the same. So maybe some schools have like bigger or smaller ranges depending on where you live, but they're all equally funded and get the same good education. What happens is if you have high property values, you have good schools. And if you have low property values, you pay less in taxes, so you could actually afford to live there and not be gentrified out of your neighborhood, but you're going to have a crappier school. You know, uh, in St. Louis here, Normandy High School is, is in a lot of trouble. And crappy is not, again, it's not a, not a designation. No, I mean, not well funded. Exactly. You're going to be, you're at the end of the day, you are, you are playing at a disadvantage because you have less mm-hmm. funding. That doesn't mean that money, by, you know, your education is not necessarily tied to, how, to your money. But if you can't pay your teachers as well, people got to live. Someone's at a, at a certain point. You're not going to get as many supplies. You're not going to get. You're not. Your class sizes will be larger, which we know statistically contributes to lower, uh, lower education. You're just going to have less resources. I yes. mean, it's just not going to be. It, it, you're not going to be playing on the level playing field. Yes, and it's the same thing that you always run into with taxing and capitalist societies. It keeps the rich rich and the poor poor. If you are poor, you are going to live in an area that has lower property taxes and this less funded schooling. And then the less funded schooling is going to be harder to get an education because you're going to worry about your school accreditation. You're not going to have as many programs and opportunities to go into. So it's going to be harder to fish yourself out of, of poverty. So this publicly provided service that is the most democratic thing that Americans can have is lacking enormous amounts of freedom, just aside from the indoctrination on history and white supremacy, just just, just the actual good of the school, the good democratic school boards and feeding children and teaching kids for free and all that stuff, is, is at an extreme disadvantage for the poor, has a distinct, distinct location-based class lines because it's federalized versus centralized. centralized. Just little practical example people can... All right, so we're going to go on to section five 
of chapter four, and it's the 1891 preface to Marx's The Civil War in France. Remember, that was the one about the Paris Commune. Yes, very, very heavily featured in our Paris Commune episode, mm-hmm. very, very heavily. Mm-hmm. So Lenin's going to say, in France, Engels observed the workers emerged uh, with arms from every revolution. And it's going to quote, therefore, the disarming of workers was the first commandment for the bourgeoisie, who were at the helm of the state. Hence, after every revolution won by the workers, a new struggle ended with the defeat of the workers. Remember when they literally started the Paris Commune because they came to take their guns. Yes. They came to take their cannons. Yeah. Uh, just just remember, we do not we do not want you to give your guns to just cops in the army. Don't do that. Oh. Don't know. No, that, no, 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 no. That is no, a, no. that is a grand that is one of the grandest liberal hoo-ha-has I've ever seen. Like that that Jedi mind trick where the the very, very supposedly liberal with a little L, not a big L people. Yeah, the, the uh, want left. to want to take care all want to take away all the guns. And the reactionaries who do not need the guns because the government is absolutely in their favor, desperately, desperately get all of them. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, it's, it's ridiculous. The groups that are going to need to defend themselves are the groups that theoretically the Democrats should have as their base if they were not completely bourgeoisie of, bullshit. Yeah, Exactly, if they actually believed any of the bullshit they said. And yeah. yet they are the group that is determined to disarm that group. Yeah, I mean, again, I will say this again. This may come as a shock to you, but that, sh- uh, what was the school in Florida, the Miami school? Uh, with the shooting? Oh, 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 uh, Parkland? Parkland, it's made a shock to you, but more than two students survived the Parkland shooting. Yeah. Yeah, but you only hear from two yeah. because they're very anti-gun. They are very anti-gun. <laughs> So uh, we're going to continue on. Lenin says in reaction to Engels, the summary of the experience of the bourgeoisie revolution is concise as it is expressive. The essence of the matter, among other things on the question of the state, is the oppressed class armed, is here remarkably well grasped. It is precisely this essence that is most often evaded by professors influenced by the bourgeoisie ideology and by petty bourgeois Democrats. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Always on subject. 1891 calling that shit from down. Always nailing it. From downtown angles. Lenin. In the Russian Revolution of 1917, the honor of babbling the secret of the bourgeoisie revolutions fell to the Menshevik would-be Marxist Saratelli. And in his historic speech of June 11th, Saratelli blurted out, that the bourgeoisie were determined to disarm the Petrograd workers, presenting, of course, this decision as his own and as a necessity for the state in general. Zaratelli's historic speech of June 11th will, of course, serve every historian of... I overscrolled. Of the revolution. Of the revolution of 1917 as a graphic illustration of how the socialist revolutionary Menshevik bloc, led by Mr. Saratelli, deserted the bourgeoisie against the revolutionary proletariat. Deserted to the bourgeoisie. To the bourgeoisie against the revolutionary proletariat. Thank you. That that one, I won't correct often, but that one makes a difference. That one makes a difference. I slurred out a pretty big word there. Yep. Next paragraph. Another incidental remark of Engels, also connected with a question of the state, deals with religion. Um, Oh, you know what? Do we want to go? No, you know what? I don't know if you want to go on this here because this kind of oversimplifies the religion base of Marx. Maybe we should. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. Okay. It is well known that the German Social Democrats, as they denigrated and became increasingly opportunist, slipped more and more frequently into the Philistine misinterpretation of the celebrated formula. Religion is to be declared a private matter. 
That is, the formula was twisted to mean that religion was a private matter for even the party of the revolutionary proletariat. Engels vigorously protested in 1891. He saw only the very feeble beginnings of opportunism in his party and therefore expressed himself with extreme caution. And here's the Engels quote. It says, as almost only workers or recognized representative of the workers said in the commune, its decisions bore a decidedly proletarian character. Either they decreed reforms without the Republican bourgeoisie had failed to pass solely out of cowardice, but which proved necessary basis for the free activity of the working class, such as the realization of the principle that in relation to the state, religion is a purely private matter, or the commune promulgated decrees, which were in the direct interest of the working class and in part cut deeply into the old order of society. And Lenin continues, Engels deliberately emphasized these words in relation to the state as straight thrust at German opportunism, which had declared religion to be a private matter in relation to the party, thus degrading the party of the revolutionary proletariat to the level of the most vulgar, free-thinking Philistinism, which is prepared to allow no denominational status, but renounces the party struggle against the opium of religion, which stupefies the people. Now this is and this is where I, I don't think it goes enough into the, the opium of religion and what opium was at the time. So the Marxist stance of religion is and obviously everybody's heard the little section, opiate of the masses. We've talked about the expanded section, but it's a dynamic view that the poor, the the downtrodden, they will run to religion. And opium at the time was references something very good. It was a painkiller, and it was the only painkiller there. But it only masked pain. It did not ever cure it. It Painkillers never do. And uh, so Marx basically said, you know, it is the opiate of the masses. And he, and he, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he basically made it sound like as the masses get radicalized, as they see the materialism and they no longer need religion, the religion sheds away. They, they stop following it. They stop looking for this opium. They now have a plan to liberate themselves. And with that, they're also not entranced by religion as a tool of the ruling class because religion also serves reactionaries to indoctrinate people so that they can keep control of them. And so when you talk about the state, you don't want an, a, a religious state, an ethno state, right? And that's what Engels is describing here. You want to recognize that that the state can't be dictating religion. But as a party, that's the opiate of the masses. The party shouldn't be saying, uh, we don't care if the masses are getting high on the opiate. You're radicalizing people. Yeah. You know, and, and point out the corruption of the church. And, yeah, so and look at these, 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 you know, fuckers out here, like touching children and telling you, you know, gay marriage is, is, is evil and all that shit. Don't fall for that. We're taking a stand. And again, it, it is, it, counter just just viewpoint of how that how that comes together sure in in what i've been digging through with someone on opium does not it makes it a little bit harder to write it's not easy to get a lot of heroin addicts up for a rally yeah they really 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 aren't the kind of get off the couch and get to it kind of people it keeps Um, them so dude yeah yeah look at what it did to China during the actual opium wars. It yeah. is hard to, when they wanted to quash a revolution, they got the country high on opium. Religion as itself, as the opiate of the masses, is a hindrance 
to the revolution. It is it is absolutely a re, a, a reactionary institution mm-hmm. on the whole that if your party is revolutionary, it's going to have to have to have to have to fight that. I mean, look at the commune. One of the first things the commune did, one of the first big things the commune did was remove the church from mm-hmm. basically everything. Yeah, I mean, they stopped giving them, like, free land or anything. Yeah, they, they, free land, they, removed, they removed education from their hands. They they booted. Mm-hmm. They kicked all them out. No, and, and again, you see And that's that, what we definitely, you know, would do. We'd take away these, these private schools and shit like that. Doesn't exist. Yeah. So it is, again, I, I, I do believe that, that Marx would say that, that, you know, once you had gotten past the revolution... The con, you know, religion wouldn't have that kind of overtone because once you've gotten to the classless thing, you don't need it. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I have you, you, you feel like maybe you have to smash the state of religion for it to wither away. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think, that, I think that's a fair state. I think that's that a fair I, read. I again, we have. Be- I mean, none of that goes against Marxism. I was just trying to say that that. Everything about that I highlighted for a reason. No. Everything about that section was good to read and important to drive home. I just I kind of got to it and I realized that there's so much context, and we've been bearing people down with context and state and rev that I didn't want to like give that snippet and make them think that's the whole religious view of Marxism because it's it's not. It's deeper than that. It is. So. We also have very differing. Uh... Uh, relationships to religion we do. in general. We do. So it's a little tense in the pod cave, you could say. <laughs> no, 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 no. We get No, that's good. But I mean, in the end, those, I mean, those are the key takeaways you should yes. take from Marxism. You know, if if you are somewhere that is not radicalized, not socialized yet, and you want to know where the toiling masses are, look at the most religious groups of people. I mean, you see black Americans, you know, for example, right? Um, if you want to look at a specific way for the bourgeoisie to control the toiling masses, they indoctrinate you. Religion is an absolute thing. It is an absolute power structure uh, that ties in with the bourgeoisie. In fact, it's older than the bourgeoisie. You look in feudalism, things like that. You look at how much religion is based around colonialism. And uh, religion is not only going to give people a salve, make them feel better. So, of course, the toiling masses are going over there, but it is going to keep the toiling masses from actually, you know, like you said, it's going to keep them subdued, keep them from from revolutionizing. And so there's some difference. I mean, in Marx's belief, as you radicalize them, they'll be materialists. They'll have no longer the need of religion. And I, I feel, you know, very much an understanding there. Um, Nathan clearly feels like you do have to push back the religion a little bit more. But we both kind of agree also that like the, the young Hegelian, like religion is the source of all evil. Oh no! It's dumb shit. Because a, the, the new atheist bullshit, the Sam, yeah. all of that bullshit is bullshit. I, I and think that, my, it doesn't respect religion as a as a cultural point, and it also doesn't look at just like the state. It's like anarchists want to abolish the state. It doesn't look at the underlying power that and underlying conditions that created the state. If you're not looking at the underlying conditions that gave religion the power and the ties to the bourgeoisie and existing power, what good is getting rid of religion? And it is, it is. I think, I think that, it, and it's a weird parallel when you when you said it though is a, is a sal, it's a catharsis sort of thing where you can work through. I put it on the same level of not helpful as like John Oliver. Yeah. This this concept that you can do a thing, and it makes you feel like you've done something. Feel. Oh, he's made. We've made fun of the thing. Oh, we've we talked about the, and it feels like I've I've done my part, or I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to do. This is all I can do. I'm doing my role. I, I just feel like it takes away 
that, that catharsis that make you, you don't need, you shouldn't feel better. As soon as you use something to make you feel better, it, it's going to make it that much harder to get you to want to revolt. All the things that make you feel like everything's okay when it's absolutely not are just roadblocks to getting us to the point where something's going to break. I think after living through George Bush, I would have a hard time arguing against political satire's uh, role as a catharsis. Yeah. And uh, if that's what you're tying religion to, I don't see how that's anything but exactly what Marx says. So, yeah, it's, I think we nailed it. I think it's interesting. I think yeah. I think there's definitely it is it is like everything. There is so many eight different people can read it eight different ways and you're going to see it how you want to see it. But again, it's just it's it's differing. But those are the would... underlying, I think, unmovable points. What yeah. we just talked about. 100%. So, OK, so we're going to go back into uh, Lenin and he's going to talk about uh, or actually we're going to go right into an Engels quote. And Engels, we're going to say, it was precisely the oppressing power of the former centralized government, army, political parties, bureaucracy, which Napoleon had created in 1798 and which every new government had since then taken over as a welcome instrument and used against its opponents. It was this power which was the fall everywhere, just as it had fallen in Paris. From every outset of the commune had to recognize that the working class, once in power, could not go on managing with the old state machine, that in order not to lose again, it's only just gained supremacy, this working class must on one hand do away with all the old machinery of oppression previously used against itself, and on the other hand, safeguard itself against its own deputies and officials by declaring them all, without exception, subject to recall any time. Yep. We've talked about how important and how much they learned from the commune, how important being subject to recall is in, in socialism. You have to be able to, it, it, one, you have to get paid just like the worst worker gets paid. Mm-hmm. And two, if everyone gets together and says you're doing a garbage job, go. Yep. Be gone. Let's some, put somebody else in there. And if they are not good, get them out. But we're going to, at a certain point, this is not a job that you can be elected to and have eight years of, well, let's see if they figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting back to angles on, you know, them being servants of society instead of masters. Engels is going to say, against this transformation of the state, the organs of the state from servants of society into masters of society, inevitable transformation in all previous states, the commune used two infallible means. In the first place, it filled all posts, administrative, judicial, and educational, by election on the basis of universal suffrage of all concerned. You're going to elect judges, you're going to elect mm-hmm. cops, you're going to elect uh, teachers or at least, you know, administrators, things like that. Um and in second place, it paid all officials, high or low, only the wages received by other workers. Mm-hmm. The highest salary paid in the commune everyone was 6,000 francs. And this way, a dependable barrier to place hunting and careerism that was set even apart from the binding mandates to delegates to representative bodies which were added besides. Uh, I think we went through enough in the, the commune to, to – yeah. that should be clear. That Exactly. And that's – yeah, that's part of the context. We're not going to need to dive into that, you all. If you – go back and re-listen to the commune episodes. Yes. Uh, and then one other thing, he's going to come down a couple paragraphs say, Engels, however, did not make the mistake some Marxists make in dealing with, for example, the question of the right of nations to self-determination, when they argue that it is impossible under capitalism and will be superfluous under socialism. This is seemingly clever but actually incorrect statement might be made in regard to any democratic institution, including the moderate salaries for officials, because fully consistent democracy is impossible under capitalism, and under socialism, all 
democracy will wither away. This is a sophism like the old joke about a man becoming bald by losing one more hair. To develop democracy to the utmost, to find the forms of this development, to test them by practice and so forth. All this is one of the component tasks of the struggle of socialist revolution. To take separately, no kind of democracy will bring socialism. But an actual life democracy will never be taken separately. It will be taken together with other things. It will exert its influence on economic life as well. It will stimulate the transformation in its turn, influence economic development, and so on. This will be the dialectic of living history. And then I think I'm actually going to go down. That's all I wanted to do in chapter yeah, five. Yeah, there's, there's, and there's one more Engels quote, but it's... There's a big... And I, I highlighted it too, and then rereading it, I, I don't know why. <laughs> Oh, I didn't highlight it because it's good, but it's not it's not something the other quotes. Don't yeah, highlight. I don't think yeah, I we're not missing anything. So we're gonna get into Angles overcoming democracies. As Angles claimed to express his views on the subject when establishing that the term social democrat was scientifically wrong. <laughs> In the preface edition of his articles of the seventies on various subjects, mostly on international questions, dated January third, eighteen ninety four, that is written a year and a half before his death. Engels wrote that in all his articles, he used the word communist, not social democrat, because at the time of the Perdonists in France and Lasallians in Germany called themselves social democrats. Engels continued, and here's Engels' quote, For Marx and myself, it was therefore absolutely impossible to use such a loose term to characterize their special point of view. Today, things are different, and the word social democrat may perhaps pass muster in exact though it still is the party whose economic program is not merely socialist in general, but downright communist, and whose ultimate political aim is to overcome the whole state and consequently democracy as well. The names of the real political parties, however, are never wholly appropriate, and the party develops in the name it stays. So he's saying, and, and Len is going to get into this with Bolsheviks, but he's kind of, Engels is kind of saying, you know, okay, so party names are going to come about, and they're just going to yeah. stick. They might not be appropriate anymore, but they're just going to stick. But, hey, like calling the Republicans Republicans. Right. It makes no damn sense. It, it's completely, it, it's, it's. I mean, yeah, it, a name is a name is a name. If it's yeah. close enough, it's close enough. Yeah, but they were founded on defending the Republic against the Confederacy, so uh -huh. it made sense then. And then flip-flops. Yeah. So, uh Engel, or Len is going to say, Marx and I, he said, had a splendid scientific name, ex exact name for the party, but there's no real party and no most mass proletarian party. Now there was a real party, but its name was scientifically wrong. Never mind that it would pass muster so long as the party developed, so long as the scientific inaccuracy of the name was not hidden from it and did not hinder the development on the right uh, direction. Perhaps some wit would console us Bolsheviks <laughs> at the matter of Engels. We have a real party. It was developing splendidly. Even such ming meaningless and ugly term as Bolshevik will pass muster, although it expresses nothing whatever but the purely accidental fact that at the Brussels, Brussels London Congress of 1903, we were the majority. I see, and that's where I messed up a little bit of the intro. I thought the name came from the 1905 um, Soviets, but it, it was from the 1903 Brussels London. Ah, it's it's a, the, the spirit of it works. It's Slightly still, off. Track they were the majority. Yes. But yeah, it, it perhaps, perhaps now that persecution of our party by Republicans and revolutionary petty bourgeois Democrats in July and August has earned the name Bolshevik such a universal respect. Now that in addition to this persecution marks the tremendous historical progress our party has made in the real development. Perhaps now I might hesitate to insist on the suggestion I made in April to change the name of our party. Perhaps I would propose a compromise to my comrades, namely to call ourselves the Communist Party, but to retain the word Bolshevik in brackets, which I think they kind of did do something like that. Uh, 
was about to say, I just... Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the usual argument of the state, the mistake made against which Engels warned and which we have in the passing indicated above is made constantly. Namely, it is constantly forgotten that the abolition of the state means also the abolition of democracy. And the withering away of the state means the withering away of democracy, which is, again, you know, why he cited that. Yeah. No, democracy is not identical with the subordination of the minority of the majority. Democracy is a state that recognizes subordination of the minority of the majority that is an organization for the systematic use of force by one class against another, by one section of the population against another. We set ourselves the ultimate aim of abolishing the state, by which we mean all organized and systematic violence, all use of violence against people in general. We do not expect the advent of a system of society in which the principle of subordination of the minority to the majority will not be observed. In striving for socialism, however, we are convinced that it will develop into communism and therefore that the need for violence against people in general, for the subordination of one person to another and one section of the population to another, will vanish altogether. Since people will become accustomed to observing elementary conditions of social life without violence, without subordination. In order to emphasize this element of habit, Engels speaks of a new generation reared in new free social conditions, which will be able to discard the entire rubbish of the state, of any state, including the democratic Republican state. In order to explain this, it is necessary to analyze the economic basis of the withering way of the state. And that is the end of chapter four, as he is obviously segging into chapter five. Exactly. And while he is segueing directly into chapter <laughs> five... We're cutting off. We're Well, we're That's cutting off. But more importantly, we are... Next time you hear from us, we are not transitioning directly to chapter five. Oh, no. We will be transitioning to... As as kind of a, a, a tease away, the first sentence of uh, of chapter five was Marx explains this question most thoroughly in his critique of the Gotha program, and as soon as that happened, I was like, well, fuck, now I've got to read that. So we went on the entire Gotha program and have a whole uh, full length episode on just that work to get some context for chapter five, yep. and that will be what you will be hearing next week from us. Absolutely. Uh, that all being said, thank you, thank you for coming. Uh, Y'all know where to find us. Uh, Hit, please hit us up on Twitter at Mark's Madness Pod, um, and uh, and and also other thing that I I want to shout out. Um, if if you're a person and you're like, hey, I'd like some uh, I'd like some things that I could stick to some things that may have uh, some various uh, 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 lefty messages on them. Uh, there's a place for you. Um, and it, it's one of our good, good friends over at the Proles Pod uh, Discord chat had, had pointed it out to me, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew about it. If you go to stickers.wob.app, there's, there's a website where you just tell, they've got five different uh, styles. They're going to come out with more as you go. And you can just tell them, I'd like, I'd like them, please. And they'll just send them to you up to 15 at a time. It's free. There is no catches. They are they are good people, and they're just trying to, you know, get 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 this stuff out there and, and kind of get their system figured out. And there are some pretty fun ones, so I highly recommend it. This has been your plug from the Marks Madness people. Uh, we don't do ads, so that's a thing. <laughs> all right. Well, that being said, thank you all for sitting through this uh, this fun one. Yes, uh, thank you. Staying rev is important, and uh, if you haven't told, if you haven't gotten that yet, get ready for the next hour and a half. 